Welcome to Bibliography, a podcast for people who love a good to-be-read list. I'm David Kern here at Goldberry Books in Concord, North Carolina, and this is a conversation show about the way books make our lives richer. If you're listening to this episode, you probably know this week's guest for his work in the acclaimed and much-loved band, the Avid Brothers. But even as he's a great musician, songwriter, and performer, Scott Avid is uniquely well-rounded. He is as likely to want to talk about soccer or parenting or the mystic theologians as he is, say, his musical idols. And of course, he's an acclaimed visual artist as well. In fact, this fall, Scott has two separate art shows happening concurrently, which offer a rare chance to see years of work inspired by his myriad uh, interests and, and hopes and, and loves. Currently running through November 2nd is a show at the Soko Gallery in Charlotte called Purpose at Random. To learn about this show, you can head to socogallery.com. That's S-O-C-O gallery.com. Starting on October 7th and running through January 1st, 2023, he is also exhibiting Scott Avid After the Fact at the Greenville Museum of Art. And you can head to gmoa.org to learn about that one. As the promotional copy for this show says, After the Fact refers, in Avid's words, to the revelation of meaning beyond the physical act of making. He explains, My purpose is to be with the practice and trust that the existence of the work will indeed be traced back to truth, realizing throughout the making of this work that the eternal meaning of the work is revealed after my being with it. So no need to worry about what it will do or what it will say. Besides, the story cannot be told until after the fact. End quote. This exhibition also features prints and paintings related to uh, his musical career, including portraits of band members and artwork for album covers and concert posters. Sketchbooks and journals reveal an intimate view of Avid's creative process and the ongoing relationship between his music and his art. So again, head over to gmoa.org to learn about Scott Avid after the fact, which runs from October 7th to January 21st, or head to socogallery.com to learn about Purpose at Random, which runs from now until November 2nd. Scott is curious about so many things, and that, of course, makes him a really great conversationalist, a characteristic that is also buoyed by his his attentiveness and his ability to be really present. Recently, he was kind enough to sit down with me in his studio where we talked about his creative process, his life in the arts, and uh, our mutual affection for Concord, North Carolina, where we both live, and naturally, a bunch of books he really likes. As usual, I began with my regular opening question about books that he first fell in love with. Do you remember the first time that you, I don't know, fell in love with a book? Hands down would have been uh, The Giving Tree. Mm. Silverstein, yeah. yeah. That was the sentimentality, like the, 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 the longing in that oh, yeah. book, yeah. the precious like sadness. Yeah. And as a kid, you kind of seeing... The, the span of life, which is right yeah. here. The, seeing that in a book yeah. that was so simple, that's really sort of like looking into the unknown as a little kid. So, I, yeah. So, yeah, as a child, there was a big, like, there was a rapport. Like, yeah, I, yeah. Was, I was in love with my mom reading to us. And there's a lot of those books, like the, the Yucky Monster. Is that what it's called? Or the Big Blue Monster? The one with the hats. Remember that book with the hats? Uh, uh, the monkey caps, is taking Caps for sale. Caps for sale. Donkey with the, what happens to his ears? I can't remember what happens to that. I don't remember what that one's called. You know what I'm so, talking about? Yeah. So, so with, with these 
picture books and these kids' storybooks. I mean, Silverstein obviously is kind of, is a legend. Mm-hmm. Were you interested even then in the illustrations in there? I mean, was that something you were trying to? Yeah, I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, I can't remember really deciphering. You know, I don't. I don't think. I mean, I can look back on it and go, it probably was the package. Yeah. You know, the words and the coupled with. Because without yeah. the words, the, the drawings wouldn't wouldn't quite make the sense that they did. You know, and it didn't take a lot of words. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Your mom was a teacher, right? Not at the time. Okay. Not yet. She okay. was just like a, a, just a super mom. You know? Yeah. Just, she stayed at home with, with us. Yeah. I mean, I've gotten to know her a little bit and she, she's a book lover mm-hmm. and she works she really in some literacy programs. Is that right? She was, she did. So she taught, yeah, she taught English. Was that reading? I, I mean, say. so did you grow up in a house that was all about books even then? So... Yeah, because mom and dad were both. They were they read every night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, and I think the tone that was said it was like, I would just say it was like a uh, an unspoken. It's like a rural intellect. Oh yeah. Okay. okay. There was like yeah. there was we were blue collar in the fa- in the way that we work. Yeah. But education, meaning like formally meaning words and information coming in. Yeah. Uh, that was really important. Yeah. Yeah. In our lineage, like from our grandparents on down, like that, to me, there was like a really high respect and honor to that mm. within our rural and very blue collar existence. Mm. Like tied to storytelling. And mm-hmm. I mean, it's almost like there's an oral tradition of storytelling. Yep. Totally. And that leads right into song and oh, picture, yeah. and picture yeah. too. Yeah. Totally. So did you grow up like, I mean, beyond just books, did you, did you grow up? where those stories were a huge part of your life. I mean, yeah. you know, anybody who meets your dad is going to hear a story. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, because he read all... Uh, yeah, my dad loves extreme stories about survi- like survival stories yeah. and yeah. and stories of, of extreme experiences in the wild. And he just loves nonfiction. Yeah. Really, yeah. Like, but, but fantastic nonfiction. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sensational nonfiction that usually has to do with someone being pushed to the, to the brink. So... Yeah, and he was always reading that stuff. Um, Why do you um, think he's interested in that? Well, <laughs> be, I should ask him, but that's an interesting... I know you should. I mean, I'm sure it has something to do with his the pecking order in his family and his okay. being the youngest and, and yeah, his yeah, dad oh, yeah. being a preacher. I mean, I'm yeah. sure all that stuff, Yeah, there's probably something to it. So your your dad's dad was a Methodist? Methodist preacher, minister, yeah. Minister, minister mm-hmm. in the South. Mm-hmm. And then... Your um, your mom's dad was a general, right? Yeah, one star general. Yeah, so you got these seems like pretty formidable these pretty formidable men on both sides of the of mm. the ledger. There, did that? I mean, do, are the stories tied to them? Have has that been like something that inspired you? That's that's influenced you over the years? Well, it's, I never, you know, my my grand, uh, William Gleason, my mom's dad. He was dead before I was born. Okay. And then my grandfather, Avid, he baptized me probably in what, June or July of 1976, and then he died in November of 1976. Okay. So you never really got to so know him. So I never, you know, yeah. I was held by him, but I never uh, never got to know him. But, but you know, I, I got to know him, apparently. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but what's interesting about the two and the two extremes of their existence and their vocations is that you know, my mom's dad lived in that world 
of sensational nonfiction survival. You know, yeah, that's World War II, Korea, Vietnam, he was in all that. Hmm. So who knows what he saw and what he experienced. And then my grandfather was this, my, my grandfather Ava was this very gentle, talk about a blue collar intellect, like that was his, hmm. he was. He, he was. he was a champion for the blue collar uh, uh, sect, but he was, he was a, a serious intellect and mm. very well read. And, and I think because of that, he fell into a, what he would have been. Now he wouldn't be, but at the time, I think he was a progressive, especially in the region that he was preaching yeah. in. Yeah. When it comes to being an artist, for you and your siblings, do you think that his, that blue-collar intellect has been a guiding light? Or has it been something that you, um, maybe when you were younger didn't appreciate yeah, of kinda, yeah. kinda totally. like tried to resist being from Concord, North Carolina yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah. like who what artists come from right from here, you know? Right, a hundred percent. Like there was no interest in in that. I mean the the books were looking at us on, on the shelves, you know, like and, and it was his book. There was a collection of his sermons and so I'd see his face, you know, and the title of the book is For All the People. Um hmm. it was a collection of his sermons. I would see that book, you know, it had the plastic uh black Binding like the cookbooks, you know, like yeah, the spiral, oh, yeah, yeah, plastic. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like a church cookbook, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like a church cookbook, and um, that was just staring at me mm. throughout childhood, and I just was like, it's just, it's just, you know, it's just grandpa, yeah, you know, whatever, yeah. like what could be in there that could be interesting, <laughs> yeah. like, uh, what is this awkward old man? What would he possibly have to say that? Uh, yeah, look, I'm, I'm doing something different, yeah, and so you know, you look to all these outside sources coming from media and branded like yeah. grunge and like yeah. metal and like yeah. uh, 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 extreme sports and, and yeah. all with very great, interesting people that come from their places. Yeah. But the brand of it is something that was totally, you know, a farce. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a farce. And so, but as a kid, that's, you know, that's your yeah. identity, like you're yeah. identifying with, and then you carry that with you. Uh, it's yeah. like, well, I was because, you know, I'm really partial to the punk rock scene or the, you know, it's like, okay, like, yeah, of course you yeah, are. The 1990 punk rock scene of course in Charlotte. <laughs> oh, which actually, you know, you get into that and you realize it's, it's deep. Yeah. The underbelly of Charlotte created music and it's, it's very, very, it's beautiful, really. There was a lot going on uh, here, but that's whatever. The, I mean, it was all fun stuff, fun yeah. stuff to play in. But yeah, so what I, to sort of complete that, I think, is it didn't look interesting as from young, looking through young, mm. younger eyes. Yeah. Um, so when did you, you know, you talked in other yeah, places about how you kind of like came to appreciate your place where you grew up, your hometown, and you're still living here. At what point did you come to appreciate those stories and, the, and, your, and your family in particular, you know, the stories of your grandfathers and your mm. grandmothers and not just the place that you're from, but the, yeah. the stories of your family and that like blue collar intelligence in particular? Yeah. Well, none of it's about that really. And the intelligence is, is another thing yet to just play in. Like hmm. to be an intellect I mean, good for, for, you know, good for you. you know? Yeah. What, yeah. That's not really. So I, I will say this ties together. This whole thing ties together, like where one would live, why somebody would, would be interested in, in what their grandfather wrote or what anybody wrote. Yeah. What's the purpose? 
what is my purpose and, and what is my awareness of that purpose? How awake am I to the purpose, uh, at least um, uh, allowing the purpose to guide me? And so as purpose or lack thereof comes to a head or you have to make a decision based on it, there's, there's a lot of purpose in where, like where we live. Yeah. The, where we live doesn't give us our purpose. We have our purpose. And if, yeah. if I was called to live in Ontario and that was my purpose took me there, that's just where I would live and that would be home yeah. uh, and it would be no different. Yeah. I'm not talking about aesthetically, but I'm saying it'd be no different just as long as I was following the purpose. That is probably telling about my relationship with books hmm. as well, because in my thirties, somewhere in there, I think the lack thereof sort of clarity on purpose or, or maybe being sort of fast asleep and the need to, or the interest in waking up a little bit, metaphorically speaking, I did just read my grandfather's book, hmm. you know, just like, well, what is this? You know, maybe I'm, yeah. maybe I've been a little hard on the, like maybe I just didn't want to read it because it said it was he was a Methodist minister, and maybe I've just been hard on on that spiritual lineage. Yeah. yeah. Um, when you're talking about purpose, you're talking about like vocation. Is that kind of what you think? Calling you use the word calling. Well, you can call it vocation. Vocation can sometimes sometimes people's vocation is going against their purpose. <laughs> you okay. know what I mean? So I, I don't yeah. really look at like vocation is is really pretty. It's a t it's pretty a top layer of things. Okay. Like if I'm getting deep into it, I I know that my purpose regardless is to to follow my creative sense yeah that comes that comes through in my parenting yeah that comes through in my daily my vocation that comes through yeah, okay. in my daily walk okay. you know yeah, yeah so yeah. that in purpose uh but my ultimate purpose is to be uh in connection with god that, that's my ultimate purpose mm -hmm. of all all of it and so that the 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 glimpses of that and the fluttering of that was you know, calling. Yeah. That became clear at, though. At a younger age. Well, that the books are what, yeah. <laughs> books are what we're like, Oh, look, you know, you're not the first one to go through this. Yeah. You're yeah, not yeah. the first yeah. one like to, yeah, you know, and, and so that's, that's all, oh, we're all over the place. Did your, um, did the early part of your creative, endeavors like your creative career even as both yeah. a visual artist and a musician did that bring this sense of purpose into focus or did it when you were starting out did it uh gray that make that a little bit more gray for you and then you had to come back to it later yeah both i mean it disrupted and distracted yeah and and also kept me engaged yeah without me knowing is that like that seems like that's a little bit of a dissonance that you know is that like part of the process though must be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't know. Yeah. You know, I, I wouldn't know much of any of this stuff. I just, but, but it must be. Yeah. It has to be. Yeah. If it's, if it's going that way, that out, I, I guess I have to trust that. Yeah. That. Yeah. I, I, and I think what, what I'm kind of getting at is that like with, with real purpose, you look past the idea that, oh, well, the reason I'm doing this is so I can be the greatest this or that. Yeah. And you realize, wait, wait a second. Yeah. That's yeah. You start. You keep finding dead ends, and and so the relationship with books. There, my grandfather having that book. That's what sort of opened it. Like I was like catching little nuggets in those books. And before 
I have been just just to, just because I'm thinking about books right now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, it is the it's the point of the show. So. Well, it, well, to think about it, before I was just kind of really. I, I'm like my dad. I like reading really. And Seth Seth and Bonnie are probably like this too. Really, you know, inspiring and and incredible stories that really happen. Non yeah. fiction is yeah. is really something as well as fiction. But uh, up until then, I had been kind of doing that. But something was. Uh, Something, some spark really, really uh, set fire mm. when I read the sermons that my grandfather read, mm. and that just led me on this. And, and how, you were how old when? When was this? I'm, I'm guessing I was like 35, 34, okay. probably 10, 10, 11 years ago, 10, okay. 12 years ago. So you're like, you know, both your, all of your artistic endeavors are well established. You're well on your way, I so get, to speak. And I suppose. So what did, like, how did that change your perspective, you know, reading those sermons? What did that, like, was it more of a focusing or was it like something switched? Mm. Well, my grandfather mentioned Gandhi in one of his sermons. And mm. so I was like, you know, I've been hearing about Gandhi forever. So what's his deal? So I read his autobiography. Okay. Yeah. A friend of mine uh, gave me that. I don't hear Gandhi a lot in like a Methodist minister's no, sermons the, from the 1950s or something right. in 50s Concord, to North Carolina. That's yeah. right. That's right. That That's where I would say, you know, there's a progressive element to that, you mm. know. Lit, he he really praised uh, AA Alcoholics Anonymous. He praised Martin Luther King. He, he praised mm-hmm. Gandhi, and he talked about Chinese wisdom. And so that was like you think back now, and you're thinking, wow, this was. Yeah, he had like he had a very like esoteric mind. Like that's, I mean, yeah, it seems like there's a lot of curiosity there. Must have been. Yeah, must have been. So that led me to the Gandhi autobiography, which Gandhi and I still, you know, I've I've just had I've I've always. As a young man, I would pick at the hypocrisy in the Christian church, in the church, you yeah. know, just pick at it. And it, it's, it's alive and well now. Yeah, it's, it's just like... It's kind of low-hanging fruit. It's low-hanging fruit. Yeah. And there's other uh, uh, organizations that work really hard to, to hide their hypocrisy, yeah. but it's there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and maybe, I, do, I mean me. <laughs> yeah, like within me, within this organization. Yeah. Exactly. And... So that was like to read how Gandhi, his relationship with Christianity and his uh, his openness to it through Leo Tolstoy. And so that really Mm. and I've told this before, but that journey into Tolstoy, when I started reading the Christian writings of Leo Tolstoy, I felt that the first thing that I thought was that's the articulation that Mm. I'm not capable of of writing or saying he say he said it for me. At the time, yeah. it was spot on at yeah. the time. Now, it, it's morphed over the years, so it's probably not spot on anymore. But at the time, I was like, yes, that's, that's what I have been feeling. And this, is, this was now, you know, 110 years yeah. after he had written it. And I'm yeah. going, okay, this is it. And yeah. that led me, I mean, on, on the trail, the, 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 a journey that still, it's a lineage, of, a lineage or a thread of, of books that I still... Yeah, I mean, that... Tolstoy's experience and, and version of Christianity is not the, not the version that's very common in Concord, in North Carolina, Protestant, yeah, or in, in America, or yeah. especially in his time in America at all. Or in Russia, probably. Like, that's know, true. The, yeah. the, the yeah. Catholic Church was, you know, so he was going against the grain in big ways. Yeah. So you're reading Gandhi. That takes you to Tolstoy. I mean, I, that, now, now it makes sense. The other day, you said something to me about how you're... Uh, you're on Tolstoy's side and the Tolstoy-Dostoevsky rivalry. <laughs> yeah. Now it makes sense because you, you got Gandhi, Tolstoy from your grandfather. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So it's yeah. like, 
worldview shifting kind of guy. Yeah. <laughs> and well, in what is art, I think he talks about yeah. some of their arguments, yeah. you know, like he's, yeah. <laughs> and so, and you know, Tolstoy is able to, you would never want to get in a, Oh. In an argument with Tolstoy. No. Especially if you were in a debate. If if he was alive now and you could do a debate with him like on Instagram or something, yeah. it would be he was he'd be ruthless. <laughs> yeah. He's so good with yeah. words. He would Pit cut. Tolstoy up against Jordan Peterson. <laughs> I mean, no chance. No chance. No chance. Or or I mean, I'm telling you, like his yeah. he was just vicious with yeah. his words. Yeah. And that's that sort of it's really entertaining. Yeah. But there's know. also like this pursuit he's after something he's not being vicious for the sake of no, like no, 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 being yeah. clever yeah, right. he doesn't want to be an instagram star no. he's like after it no. there's a truth he's trying to get to. yeah, yeah. it's a very sincere sarcasm in his yeah. Yeah. yeah but yeah for sure he was he like let's say it was just a, a a vicious search for truth really so have you read the nonfiction? fiction tulsa's non-fiction too so or fiction sorry. fiction I, I read anna karenin yeah uh like i said seth had told me he was working on Oh, War and Peace, <laughs> and I, I need to read that one. A little yeah, it's big, massive, right? So, but that was yeah. And then, like you and I were talking the other day, all those nuggets of wisdom were happening in his fiction. But yeah, like you were, yeah. like we were just talking about that. That thing's moving. But at the time, he was wanting to do it to be the best. Yeah, to be to be famous and to make a living, a vocation, yeah. a yeah. really loud and successful, and you know, otherworldly vocation, like just to be to be great. And I think he realized the dead end of that, you know? So I want to come back to Tolstoy in a minute. Yeah, we, we jumped from the giving tree to, to the, yeah. you know, like to, 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 yeah, yeah. to Anna Karenina. In between, you know, when you're, a, when you're a kid and you're going through middle school, high school, all that, your mom's teaching English at that point, right? Are you loving books then too? Or is it like, you know, books are kind of just on the outskirt of your creative interests. They were completely blanked out of my life. I, uh, and I was different than my, my brother and sister in that regard because they had a love for reading that stayed. But I don't think it was because, I don't think it was because I don't love books. I mean, I love books. Yeah. But my ability to read and my ability to focus is way different. And so it disallowed. Yeah. Like, you mean you just kind of have a harder time? Yeah, like I was moved. My activity level, yeah. my hyperactive. Yeah, you didn't want to sit level. still. Yeah, I really yeah. didn't. And so it was really impossible in those years for me to do that. So do you it think really that your interest, you're kind of returning back to books later, was helped by the discipline that has to come with making music and doing visual arts and that it helped you, it helped your brain just get better at focusing? Or is it you just, you know, got older and you're... I think that, well, no, I think that did happen. However, I mean, I got in trouble throughout a couple of times. Like, one thing that kept me from just going off the deep end was we had a really strong family, loving parents, and I was in a network of, of, of people that cared. So I tend to like to, you know, I like to think about my individual ability to, to power through but when I was younger, I really had an appetite for delinquency. Mm. You know, I really wanted, like to me, I thought, you know, I saw people that I admired. I, I thought I want, you know, I need to go out and get in trouble. And I did that, but I had such a good foundation that I was, I feared, you know, jumping off the cliff into that. Yeah. My point in, tell, in telling you this is, though I did have brushes with the law and I did get in trouble and I did get arrested a couple times in the, the second, 
then when that came to a head while I was in art school, actually I wasn't in art school anymore. I'd kind of, I'd more or less dropped out, but was still at ECU uh, in college. I really was, was flunking out and I got in trouble and I had to do community service and my community service was picking up cigarette butts around the courthouse in Pitt County. Mm-hmm. And I could do that in a little bit of time, and then I still had hours to kill. So I'd go sit in my car, and I'd go, why am I not studying anthropology class? I'm going to fail if I don't. And I had never, I had gone my whole high school and most of my college career checked out. I just yeah. could not focus. I could blah, 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 yeah. blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And I sat and I did it. But I was scared because I knew, you know, I was kind of looking at it like, this is my life sitting in this car in this parking lot picking up cigarette butts and then going back like I was a little bit scared so I was like something was telling me well why don't you give this a shot yeah you can't maybe in a way forcing me to sit and be still yeah okay be still whatever it doesn't really matter what the book is pick it up and read it and it was an anthropology textbook yeah (laughs) and from there a spark, like once again, back to the spark, a flame. And, and eventually I thought outside of just classes, I was like, well, I'll pick this. Well, what's this book like? I, yeah. Maybe I'll even read a book. Yeah. Outside Something of for yourself, not for just myself. for this grade. Or, yeah. Yeah. So this is your like 2020? I'm 19, 20. Okay. Yeah. Something like that. Is the music already like... Music's happening. You're still. like, I'm going to do this, make this I, thing. No, nah, I never did. I never, I just, this was, it was just something that I did. That yeah. it's just my identity. Like I do that. I'm in a band. Yeah. I play shows. I hang yeah. out with the group. We go to practice space. I drink beer and I write in a notebook. Yeah. That's that is me. I am that guy. Were you, were you painting and drawing uh, and all that? See, at the time, no. I had I had gone to art school for a year and then I I stopped taking art classes and I was uh, kind of in between. I was still drawing, I think, but I was still writing and, and yeah, but it was sort of a blank moment in the visual for about a year, a year and a half or so. What brought that back? Like in, you know, in real, in a real thing. So yeah. So as I, as I realized, wait, I can study, I can read and then I can make good grades if I do that. At this point I'm 20, 21 ish. Yeah. If I I put a little work in. It'll actually. Yeah. Yeah. It won't suck. It won't suck. Like. So I, I said, well, what degree can I salvage? What can I salvage out of this? And it really ended up being a, not just something I salvaged. I loved it. I studied mm. uh, radio broadcasting mm. and got into writing scripts for, um, for commercials and yeah. scripts for news and cue cards. And yeah. I really loved it. And, and that, that was another weird little form of songs. You know, it was kind of yeah. like very creative and similar and, I it has love, to be like focus. It has to be a certain amount of time. You yeah. have to like think in terms of the audience. Like, what's the experience? Yeah, totally. And and it's another relationship with words. I, I, I never, and I still don't feel like I really have a hold on any formal lengthy writing. But with creative, small poet, po, uh, poetic or poetry uh, approaches, that made sense to me. A lot of sense, mm. like paring down. So I got into that, and I graduated with that, but. Uh, I, I, I had uh, credits in art, so I was doing a minor in art. And okay. my, my professor, my painting professor said, you were born to do this. Like, mm. you, you, you have, you kind of have to do yeah, That's this. a big moment when someone who knows what they're doing is like, dude, yeah, this is I'll, you. Hold on, hold on a sec. Okay. I'll show you the painting. So yeah, I did this painting and that was the first oil painting I ever did. And 
Well, that was when Leland, my painting professor, said, you have to do this. <laughs> he said, you have to. That was just a, a painting we did by uh, observation. Yeah. Uh, and he said, you, you have to. You have to, to follow this. And, and throughout that semester, he said, you need to finish this degree. And then you go and you get a master's. And then you move to New York and you paint. You don't, don't take a teaching job, just paint. And you have to do it a minimum of a year. Uh, he said, but I, I suggest three years. But if anything, you do a year. But a year is not really enough he time. He wants you to get the hours in, basically. He just wanted me to go and go for it. Yeah. And, uh, which I thought that was awesome. It was an affirmation, like... You know, somebody telling me that, like, okay, oh, I'm... Were the people in your life also like, go do this? Like your parents? Or Seth? You or? know, man, well, I don't... Or were you doing Were you already like... We're doing lots of music. In yeah. fact, the relationship with him, because he loved Leland loves music, and it was very... He was a great writer as well. But Leland played music, talked about music, mm. and he told me, he said, the music's great, because I remember we would make tapes of what we were, we were doing, and... He would play him in our class if I would bring him. He'd say, yeah, we'll play what Scott's doing here. And he said, the music's great, but this is what you were. He's like, you really need to stop that stuff <laughs> and, and devote yourself yeah. to this. Yeah. Like he, was a, he is a committed painter. And he is very uh, methodical and very uh, concise and uh, academic. Does he view that form of art as like higher? Or is it just he just thinks no, that you no, are? No, he just thought that I, he was like, okay. this is your language. Okay. This is your language. Do you agree? Um, it's one of my languages. So I what mean, did you say to him then? When he was like, stop with everything remember. else that you're yeah, doing? I don't remember what I said to him. Because then in my later, like I fell into kind of, I don't I remember falling into a little bit of a rut my second to last semester. And then I met Sarah and painted a portrait of her and Leland, because Leland was telling me, he's like, I feel like you're not finishing work. Like you were, these paintings feel unfinished, and I was like, "Oh it's man!" Out of you. <laughs> I was like, "Oh man!" And then I painted this portrait of Sarah, and he was like, "What's happening here?" And I said, "Well, I think I'm falling in love with this person." And he said, uh, <sighs> "He was like, no, <laughs> you're going to New York." Like, I mean, he, he was like, "Yeah, oh no." <laughs> I mean, I remember him saying, oh, "Okay." So, okay. Anyway, is that are the Avid Brothers a thing at that point, mm. or is this the other band? Because like, is both. He, so both. he's looking at it and he's like, "You got this new band. You're going. We can tell you're going for that. You're falling in love. Both. You're ruining your yeah. life. Both. Because Seth and I would would linger around the art school, and there were always events and stuff yeah. that were happening that we would play. Yeah. And it'd be Seth and I, and then there was this uh, girl Leah that would play with us, and then Tim Knopf. Uh, uh, um, he was a sculptor. He played bass with us. And then John Toomey, who was in our group, Nemo. And like, we would all get together and we would just play, play and play. And I would play every Tuesday and Thursday night. And so he knew yeah. that that scene there was really, it was really thriving and, and nice because it's contained. Nobody, you know, you don't hear about the Greenville, North Carolina <laughs> yeah. music scene, but yeah. it's thriving. Yeah. It's incredible. Still? Do you know? Yeah. I mean, well... I, I bet it is. I don't know. I haven't yeah. been in a long time. But, yeah. but like the Future Islands, you know this group? Oh, yeah. Oh, they, yeah. they came out of yeah. it. Like they were, yeah. They were, at least part of them were navigating that, that scene yeah. a little bit uh, after me. But, but there's a link to it. So there, there was just a, such a thriving and cool scene. When's the Avid Brothers Future Islands co collaboration happening? We did a, a concert with them in Greenville. Yeah. Because. Uh, That's pretty dope. Them. They're but, great. They're so great. Very unique. Very unique. 
Like so, that's the point. They're, they are them. Yeah. That's yeah. the point. Yeah. Okay. So you got these two art forms. You're like starting out your life. You're being told you're really good at this. Like you can make a career of this. You can, you got to give it a shot. And then you're also doing the music. Was the collaborative aspect of the music part one of the things that drove your pursuit of that? Because art is a, I mean, the painting part is a very, um, a much more like solo job. I mean, I mean, I'm sure there's things you can do with other people, but like writing, it's a kind of a solitary thing. Yeah. And it takes, you know, you were, you're working these big canvases and it takes a long time. And I imagine you're working on stuff that takes what, like a year for paintings. Yeah. Like a long time to, to get done. Whereas with the music, you're like seeing results. You've got people, you know, or at least what I mean is it takes a while for someone to see it. Yeah. If anybody ever does. Yeah. Whereas you're writing songs with your brother and your friends and you're getting on stage and you know, right away, or probably have at least a sense right away whether this thing's going to play, mm. whether people are going to respond to that. Do you think any of that was part of maybe why you guys, like, you pretty pursued that when you did? Even mm. though you're being told, Scott, you're, this is, you're like called to, your purpose yeah. is to, to well, make paintings. Yeah, yeah well, um, there's also the part about when someone tells you something and you're going, you might be wrong. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. Eh, maybe, Leo. Yeah. Like, maybe, but. <laughs> yeah. I, but, so the affirmation isn't big like when someone like that knows what they're talking about tells you that that oh, didn't mean a lot to you no i loved it oh, okay i loved okay. it i loved it i okay. mean it makes me feel so good and uh yeah. yeah it happened again at a critical time seven eight years ago okay very critical time and and it was important to me yeah uh, um it's happened several times but these two things visual let's say they're we're 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 bringing them down to just we're acting like they're just two things yeah, but they're really they're not, many yeah. within yeah. each one of them yeah are just two of many things that i could do yeah whether that was true or not which it is true but i was told that growing up and i also was offered a job as a foreman on a landscape crew and when i was 21 I was. I told my dad, "Hey, I'm going to quit school." That was during the same time. They said, well, "You get a truck, you get full benefits, you get seventy thousand dollars a year." I mean, the whole thing yeah. was incredible for a 21 or 22 yeah. year old. I was like, "I'm taking this." Yeah, because I'm always going to be an artist or musician. This will just be my job. Yeah. So I I actually accepted it verbally. Mm. So I was like, "Well, I can do that too." Obviously, yeah. I can do it because somebody's telling me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll take you for this. Yeah. Cause I'd worked with them. So I didn't, wasn't really thinking about, man, I probably wasn't thinking about a lot. <laughs> I, <laughs> you just kind of really, going with it. I was going with yeah. it. And, um, I think I was probably floating and, and bouncing and flying in the wind. And I think, you know, that's where, that's where you can't help. But when you look back, you go, man, I was, I was taken care of, you know, I was, I was being guided yeah. one way and I still am one way or the other. And to make a, we, we can, what is the word muse on this or whatever? Like yeah. we can, we can hypothesize, hypothesize yeah. about what was going on. What was happening. And, and I yeah. can say, well, I was thinking this, but there was, I had really no plan. Like I did not know. The, the closest thing to a plan, which was easiest to understand, was whenever I knew very well how to promote a show that I was going to play, like how to frame it yeah. with, with, I knew how to go make flyers. Yeah. I knew there was lots of creative That's opportunity in it. Yeah. I knew how to go and tell people I knew how to go. Like we all, there was a whole group of us that knew how to do that. Yeah. 
And so we knew that the business part was by default. You learned in that. Yeah. So, yeah. so we knew how to do that. Why couldn't huh. you apply that to visuals? Why couldn't you apply yeah. that to anything? Yeah. So that was happening. And that was just business, really. So that's, that's kind of interesting. interesting. So it gave us a sense. Uh, I know individually for me, it gave me a sense of really uh, invincibility. Like mm. I can handle it. I can do this. Mm. I can do it. If somebody else want to do it for me, I can do it for myself. I mean, talking about the plan, like there, like I really didn't have much of a plan in yeah. the business part, like to do yeah. it yourself got really um, solidified because we would, sometimes it would work and sometimes it wouldn't. But, but when it did work, you were kind of like, okay, we covered this area. We got people out. We yeah. called people, yeah. we emailed people, whatever it was, we would do it. And so it, it gave confidence. And then if we, between Seth and I, we would have the, the something, we had something that people would, okay, we'll come back and go again and go again. A lot of times it didn't work. A lot of fa- like fails where we yeah. play for nobody and stuff like that. Well, those are, you know, I'm sure it's like you're not, not every painting is going to turn out perfectly either, especially when you're starting. No, so God. it's like part of the point, right? Absolutely. It's probably better to have some, some failures in front of nobody. No, it is. And so we'll mm, play good shows in front of nobody. Mm, like, cause then it becomes 100%. not about the people and good or bad, whatever, like to play a good show is kind of funny. The thought is, is kind of funny, but I, it makes sense. I think the way that I would prepare to do something, I should say the way I wouldn't prepare to do something, the way I would just do it is part of my, like, so when you talk about a painting that's good or bad, I would spend, and I still do this occasionally, I'm slower and much more efficient than I used to be, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. I'm slower, but I'm much more efficient. Yeah. And yeah. so I would put two months into a painting, you know, uh, 12 feet by, by seven feet or 12 mm-hmm. feet by eight feet, huge, cover the whole thing, do one whole coat of paint, plan to do the second one, background doesn't work, work it, work it, work it. Yeah. Finally, I just have to give up. I learn all, there's so much data that comes in during yeah. it, but instead of like, if I had prepared with sketches, you know, it might be a compositional thing that yeah. doesn't work for me. And then as it gets muddier and worse and like just the whole thing falls apart, I probably could have saved myself some anguish, at least just physical anguish of building this thing yeah. and then tearing yeah. it down and burning it yeah. in a pile, which I've done countless times. But that was my, that was my practice Yeah, to go for it. And sometimes you miss when you go for it. Yeah. You know? like, yeah. It's like, it's the creative process. It right? is. Like, like kind of ineffable. It is. And, but some people think in terms of more of like, well, whatever comes out of the gate has, has got to be great. And I'm just not so certain that that's true. Uh, yeah. You know, you mean out of the gate, like once you, once you release something or once you oh. put it in a gallery or whatever, yeah. it's got to be, um, let's say perfect for lack of a better term yeah. versus just, just finished. Like perfect means finished. Yeah. That's not true. Finished could be quite unper- uh, imperfect. Yeah. So is that, so how, I mean, this isn't really on books, but it's just got me curious when you're thinking about, or you're working something towards a, like a gallery showing, or that's like a, it seems like that'd be quite a bit of a different creative process or way of thinking about completion than it is when you are, you know, when you guys are working on a record. Is that, or are they kind of the same? Like, are you think, do you have both. to think about them different? Yeah, both. There, there, there are some, there are similarities 
And then there's uh, definitely differences for sure. I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess that's obvious. The you know, yeah, it's a creative is. process. So there's going to be similarities. It is, but it's like the communal element to making a recording with your brother or with a band is is certainly different than yeah this. Yeah, you guys have to agree this thing's ready. Yeah, and you can lie <laughs> when you're by yourself. You can lie without. Anybody know? Like lie to yourself? When you're, you will lie to other people. Oh, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like if I want to say, oh, well, this is what I mean. Yeah, this is what I was trying this for. Is what I was, you know, yeah. and it's, that's this whole, so what I'm preparing for in the, in the fall, the, one of the big, the topic of, of it is, uh, or excuse me, the, within the statement is this, the point that I've really never made anything I set out to make, mm. you know, ever. It's like always Things take a life different. of their own? They do, they do that. Yeah. And, and so what I've, what I've tried to do for like this piece over in the corner is a good example, um, is embrace the idea that it's unimportant what the subject matter is. Mm. Like maybe it really doesn't matter at all. And I'm not the first artist that's probably, you know, I know I'm not the first artist gone into this, but yeah, the point is, is that I spend time with it. And so whether I thought it was going to be something or not, after the fact, it really doesn't matter after it's finished. Hmm. And that to trust that within my experience, truth exists. And if I can trust that truth exists in my relationship with the painting uh, and the process of painting, then whatever it's saying, whether I successfully do that or not, is beside the point. Truth will be connected to it. And someone else will, 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 will take that or not. And, truth and art is an interesting idea. Yeah. And I'm curious when you are, yeah. whether you're writing a song or you're on stage performing or you're working on a painting, do you see yourself as someone who is trying to communicate a truth? Or try not, and not, a truth sounds specific. I just mean trying to communicate truth of some kind. I mean, because you said that you, you know, if you just, you spent some time with it and therefore there's some truth in it. Yeah. Is it, um, do you see yourself as like a vessel f to communicate something or? Maybe, I mean, maybe, maybe saying it out loud and having, making you think about that, like ruins the whole, pro the whole experience. I mean, it's, it's funny stuff because it's yeah. really like, um, I was just thinking about like it conveying truth doesn't need you or me to convey it. Right. right. Well, we talked the other day about once you're self-aware about what you're doing, yeah, you're ruining it. It's kind of, yeah. So truth doesn't need us, doesn't need me to express it. Yeah. Um, I'm the one that, that longs for it mm. and uh interesting i think i'm guessing yeah. that uh here's where the lies start you know like <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. but this is just the mute the just the 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 exploring and the seeking and the journey of it like right now what's heavy on my mind is and I th we might have mentioned this the other day a little bit is fact and truth like this yeah. idea the, of yeah of the facts are yeah but and maybe it's fair to say there's there's only one truth always. Maybe, maybe there's, there's some sense in that, but the facts are just everywhere. But can yeah. you, can you believe, are facts something you need to believe anymore? They're facts. They, facts they're change known. sometimes too. Well, they might change sometimes, but yeah. Are you saying we, like there's a difference between something being true and something being factual? Very, very much so. Yeah. Very much so. And th that, I, I, there's so much. There's so much truth in the 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 relationship that I have with my son, but I can't articulate it. Yeah, right. Like, yeah. You know, I yeah. can't. I can't factual factualize factual, factualize it. 
Is that, is that we'll a word? We're going to go fact, with that. Is that fa- is factualize a word? I, I, it seems You're like a, a word. Store, it seems, I know. I know. That's why now I'm like. <laughs> um, yeah, it doesn't matter. Uh, so my reputation is, is on the line. <laughs> it's already too much to say. This is yeah. silly stuff. Yeah. Like, but it's yeah. stuff Sorry that, for asking. That, no, but it's stuff that gets, that gets going in my mind here. I settle a lot of times with both music and art and, and with, with how I seek what I read, like how I seek out what I'm going to read yeah. next. I really settle in, in this idea that it all kind of settles into the place of prayer. Mm. That I long to be in prayer continuously, yeah. in in active prayer and contemplative prayer, yeah. and, you know, and in 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 my life, yeah. And um, I guess I guess like really practically speaking, when I organize work in a way that I can now just task it out, so like an inspiration comes, I decide that I'm committed to an image or a melody. Now I craft. Mm. And in the crafting, there's no more, there's no more thinking. Mm. There's just being with the craft. Being present. Being present with it. Yeah. And that being is now an opportunity to be. And, and there, the emptying is where the space to be. And, to, and that's the prayerful time. Like that's that where, being present is to be prayerful. I think that's where it, where it starts to happen. Yeah. That's it. So, so... That's it. I mean, that's it. Yeah. I, I can't. And it's really that there's really not a lot of talking about it. You know, yeah. that, that was kind of it. It's yeah. like create the space, empty out. So you're articulating something that probably took you like years and years to be able to, oh my God. to, to even recognize or become oh any, in any way self-aware. But it seems like it's, that's so gotta be like that as a creative person, it seems like that would be really valuable or, um, affirming to recognize that the creative process can also be like a spiritual process to be aware of that is maybe freeing, mm-hmm. but also maybe a challenge. Like you, you have to put yourself in that space and like make the time for it. Not that you wouldn't anyway. Cause you're like, it's your purpose. Yeah. 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 Uh, there's no, I guess I didn't ask a question. Well, it could be easy. Like it kind of, there's, there's a release. Yeah. A relief. Yeah. In it that it's like, it's n- it was so critical whenever the idea is that I'm stepping into a space to accomplish this thing. Yeah. That's so critical. And so it's like judgmental of myself. Mm. And there's a release from that. Yeah. Uh, that happens within what I'm talking about. So you, you're talking about like contemplative prayer and it is, it, it is work, but it's, it's got, so for me with this, there's activity involved. So it's, mm. and I think eventually it's to let go of that. Can your work be contemplative though? Can the activity be a contemplative? Can you have I, contemplative action? I, I mean, I, I feel like they can play. I think if you, yeah, I think that being, I think that's what I'm, I mean, you're nailing what I'm talking about. Like, uh, that's the attempt. Yeah. But it can't be so like, I've been uh, speaking with an artist friend of mine, and I was sharing with her some images back and forth, how the work was pro- was uh, progressing. And she said, well, do you ever just go to the canvas without a plan? And, and I have done that lots of times. 
And I said, well, this one, I didn't really have a plan. She's like, well, you're using images, though, that you're painting on the piece. She's like, but do you ever just out of your head, all the imagery is out of your head? And I was like, well, I draw like that all the time. I think like doodle. And so I was like, ah. It's so like I, a spelling when you're doodling, but when you... Yeah. Right. So, so and it, it should be play. Like, the, the idea is that it should be play. Make it play. This is... This doesn't look like play. This looks like a, a concise approach to something that's very calculated, yeah. right? It's um, like the Scott Avett contemplative color wheel. Right. <laughs> but now that it's all mapped out... Yeah. It's all just following lines, it's all coloring books. So it is very yeah. much like play right now, the, sta- the, yeah. the, the, yeah. the stage that it's in right now. But I wonder if that play in, in going at something with just, okay, what is it? I wonder if that's too much thought. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, like images come now with technology and stuff we end up just accumulating images yeah, you got notes and voice memos it's and, everywhere yeah, yeah. and so photos, then you're just like yeah. well there it is you don't even have to really lift a finger or or, or engage in this and yeah. that's that's a gift yeah. i think that's a way of looking at it going uh oh, there's some there's some sacred knowing in this there's some sacred mm. opportunity some holy work to be found in it yeah um as if there's any work that's not holy it, it all it all is but yeah so I don't know about that thinking. That I wonder if that's a trap into another critical, like Philip, uh, what's his name? Philip Guston. I look at his images like he just just painted these things out of his brain. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Um, I don't know if I've seen that one. And they're just so, um, so playful and awesome. Mm. Um, but I wonder about the thinking process. Is it is it yeah. a freeing is yeah. it a freeing thinking uh, process or is it just like haunting? Like would yeah. it would it just kill you? <laughs> so this idea of like uh, contemplative prayer and all that that this sounds a lot like you know your the stuff that you started reading when you were in your thirties. You said you started. Um, Mm-hmm. Tolstoy and what had told what came after Tolstoy I mean you, you, I've heard you talk before when you and yeah. I have talked about Thomas Merton how important he is to you yeah you've posted even on Instagram when people have asked in your Q&A's about new seeds of contemplation mm-hmm. so how did you get to how did you get to that space because it seems like he's a you know really formative person well maybe not maybe a formative but influential person for you he is really yeah he is in, in many ways like a spiritual guide mm. Um, and he's actually that you talk about your grandfather being this Methodist who's kind of progressive and interested in all these different voices. Like that makes a lot of sense to me that you would be interested in, in Merton. Like there's something inside of you that you can see your grandfather and Thomas Merton being like, yeah, yeah. A hundred percent drinking a beer on a, um, the woods somewhere. Yeah. There's a piece that I just worked that, that have the two of them on, uh, screened on. Mm. I, um, so you're even aware of that. that very much so. It's, in yeah. fact, the piece is called lesser known mystics. <laughs> I love uh, it. Yeah. That's so awesome. it's, uh, and it'll be in, in the show in Greenville in October. It's stacked up over there. But, uh, yeah, after that, like, uh, Tolstoy references so many writers, John Ruskin, Mm-hmm. Who, who was a painter as well, wasn't he? Um, he paint. He wrote about okay the the landscape painter Turner. He was okay. his number one, I guess, what a critic or, okay. or uh, was he like promoting him or was he criticizing? Yeah, yeah him? he loved him. Okay, and he, he's he like a patron almost, like a yeah. verbal patron. <laughs> yeah, really cool. Um, but he was like, so there were these Christian socialists 
And they were also okay. like Christian anarchists and yeah. stuff. Like they yeah. all kind of fall in this that, sort of like people, the kind of people that Tolstoy would be into. Radical. Yeah. That's yeah, yeah. Well, Tolstoy was lead, is he references these people. Yeah. Uh Blaise Pascal. Yeah. Henri Amiel. Oh. I've never read any of oh. So he wrote all these journals, and apparently they were never intended to be read. Mm. And you get into them, you, there's just all this really, really brilliant mystic wisdom mm. that that was written on you know for no not for publication so you're getting into Tolstoy you're, you're going into Tolstoy and then all of a sudden you're like starting to hit all these mystics mm. so is that yeah I don't know if people call these guys mystics but they had mystical mystic, mystic wisdom mi- yeah. yeah they had they contained mystic yeah they contained mystic wisdom so did that sure. lead you to Merton and then Merton led you on to like no, Teresa of Avila um, I went on with that for a long time and okay. so there's a lot of others that don't come to mind right now that I would uh, yeah. touch on. But eventually, Pete Holmes suggested Richard Rohr to me. Okay, yeah. And so I went uh, headfirst into that, just devoured everything Richard Rohr, listening a lot to a lot yeah. of his, uh, I guess they're like, they're like retreats and conferences. And then some yeah. of his books, reading his books, like uh, Falling Upward and uh, Breathing Underwater and then Universal Christ. And in his true self, false self retreat, listening to that, I, I started putting together the, the and I, I touched on Merton, but I, I guess he tell you know the true self, false self theory is is heavy with Thomas Merton. So once I dove into Thomas Merton, now there's a new anchor, sort of like and Richard Rohr is really like an anchor now, and, and the fact that he's He's working and, and does work in the con- contemplative contemplation and activity, like mm-hmm. the active and contemplative life mm-hmm. is really a great balance for for all spiritual curiosity. Really. Yeah. It's really great. Yeah. It's not it's not only for Christians. Uh, it shouldn't be only for anybody. But yeah. um yeah. it should be for everyone. Spiritual curiosity is a, is an interesting phrase. It's, well <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, I think a lot of, I mean, I don't know. We live in the South. We've we talked about hypocrisy. There's mm-hmm. a there's a lot of people who whose spiritual life, if we can even call it that, is, you know, it ends at some piece of dogma. Well, and there's yeah. no curiosity behind it that takes you any deeper. Well, you just hit it. The the fact that it ends is a problem. Yeah, right. Yeah. The fact that there's spiritual uh, um, tolerance has an ending. Already in its own in its own right, there's something yeah a little iffy about that. Yeah, my favorite right now. I'm head first into the essential Rumi, mm. and and then there's the the Seth actually bought me this book. This Hafiz, the poet. Mm. He's another Sufi poet. The Christian connection and wisdom in Sufism is <laughs> so deep. I mean, the the love of Jesus from from Rumi. And here's here's a you know, an Islamic mystic. Yeah, the, the people who wouldn't open that book and allow that, which I understand that, but the, you, there's a lot of opportunity and it. it's really beautiful, a yeah. lot of Jesus opportunity. <laughs> yeah, yeah, from a Sufi. Yeah, oh, man, well, it's interesting, cool. you know, like I mean, Christianity starts in the East, right? <laughs> yeah, and and you have these centuries and centuries before it's like anything like what, even. 1200, you know, 13th century Catholicism looked like in Europe. I mean, you've got centuries and centuries of it evolving and mingling with all kinds of Eastern. Yeah. And there's, I mean, still Eastern Christianity is a whole, (laughs) 
you know, you go to church in Syria or, yeah. or even Who Jerusalem knows? and it's not going to be what you get in, wow. in Concord. Yeah. And so, you know, it's interesting the way that people have this fear of, of Eastern thought and its connection to Christianity. But then you've got these guys like Roar, but especially Merton for whom it's super appealing. And it's like, it's clarifying. Yeah, it is. It is. And then, so Merton for you, why is Merton so clarifying for you though? Like Merton found these guys to be clarifying and for you, he's like a clarifying type of guy. Yeah. yeah he's able to, well, you know, Eugene, is it Eugene Peterson, Peterson who yeah. wrote, uh, long obedience. Yeah. Yeah. He may do this one notch or two or three notches more, but, um, yeah, a long obedience in the same direction. Eugene Peterson. Yeah. That's it. yeah, yeah. So, Order, you know, like allowing the Christian order to to exist and with with a loving relationship with others through through Christ, um, but allowing allowing that order to to still exist, allow, allowing dogma to be, allowing uh, mm. ritual to to be and not be a buzzkill, <laughs> you know? Yeah, like saying no, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay to take communion. And, I, and I, I've experienced, like, first, like, myself, I've gone into church and been like, I don't want to take communion. Like, this is, this is, this is, this is nonsense, you know? Yeah. This is. It, it feels a little bit like a story or hocus pocus or something. Yeah, this is yeah. hocus pocus. But I don't feel that way anymore. Because I sort of like, like, Merton helps remind, so does Richard Rohr. It's, it's, I'm not saying it's not. I'm, I'm saying it is real because you don't have to hold it so tightly. Yeah. It, it's not going to be, you know, you don't have to let it burn you. <laughs> you can, yeah. you can um, play in it. Yeah. Like I, I, I had a conversation with Richard Rohr about this, about when do you know to turn away from that, that discipline? Like, when do you know, like, this is too much, this is too locking and you go, well, it's okay. Just, just hold it loosely. It's okay. This is, it's okay to be a Christian. Just like it's okay to be a Muslim. It's okay. Play in that. But if you hold it so tightly that anyone that's not that is wrong, is, is, that, is that being a Christian? So how, where, where does, um, I mean, I think the obvious question, I guess, is where does the, I don't even like to use the word dogma because it has like a weird connotation, I think, but where does the tenets of a particular faith versus the tenets of another faith come into it? Like how, how much do you have to, should any, how much should any of us, you know, I mean, I'm not trying to. No, yeah, and I don't really know. Like Merton talks about practices in Catholicism that I don't really even know about. I'm, I'm yeah. Sometimes they're speaking another language. Yeah, but for me, I can simplify it in simple baptism and communion yeah. and the Apostles' Creed. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And and rituals that have really irked me at times in my life as a yeah. younger man. And then there was sort of a uh, a surrender to it that said, "Wait, you know." Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. So are you able to surrender that or to that or surrender the distaste for that because you kind of accept it as like a mystical thing? Like the, it the, helps. the mystical essence of it yeah, yeah. is appealing to you? It helps because the overall message from all these people we're talking about is we're going into, um, we're all going into an unknown. Mm. And that to say you're not, to say you know you know, what's to come is just a lie. So when, when that, the sense or anxiety or fear of that unknown uh, clouds over you, 
who do you turn to? Like what books do you turn to? Like what are the ones that are comforting for you? Yeah. And, well, New Seeds of Contemplation is is my Martin, practice. Martin that's my Thomas Merton. That's my normal practice as far as if I'm a little like blanked out, not sure, like I will I will that will be playing as I am tasking. Um that's that's pretty common. For a second, I thought you were going to say that'll be playing at my funeral. <laughs> that will be playing at my funeral. Yes, on on a repeat. On, on loop. Yeah. yeah. Um, Maybe you should record it in your own audio book so go. that you can be Scott Avitt's voice there at Scott Avitt's funeral. There yeah. you go. <laughs> um, the essential roomy is is right now what I mean. That's like listening to songs. Do you the, say the, you, the audio book? Yeah, I listen. Yeah. I mean, I, I have the book and I, yeah. and I listen to it. Yeah. So it's it's both. I'm taking it in in both ways. And are you listening while you're creating? A lot of times, visually, yes. Yeah, yeah. I guess That's, it's hard to write a song when you're listening. To well, it takes else, me to that a lot of times. Okay. It will. It will yeah. Like a lot of times when I'm applying my own personal experience to what I just hear. It's just that thread. It's yeah. like, well, I, I would say that exactly like this, and it's totally different yeah. than that, yeah. but it's the same thing. So that's happening all the time. So the book is always close to me. My book is close to me. The work is at hand. And, and that's like your notebook. Yeah, my yeah. notebook yeah. and my journal. And, and so that's all at, at play in that. And that is just this dance, you know, in here. Can you look at a painting or something that something a painting that you've created or a song that you've written? Maybe you're performing a song. And remember. And, and be like... I can, I can, this is, this is, this was Merton. This was Teresa of Avila, <clears throat> Rumi or whoever. Um, I don't know if you've read paintings. Teresa, but. Well, uh, yeah, I have. I have. In fact, I listened to her whole, what was the, what was the thing she did? The, it was at the mansions. Yeah. I don't, I don't remember what it's called. Um, her basically. I have the book her. at the shop. I know exactly where it is. I can see it. That's incredible. What it's, called. Yeah. it's incredible. And her story is incredible. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Some of those, like the female mystics that, yes. that have been forgotten by yeah. history. Some of those are. Yeah. Julianne Norwich yeah. and then uh, Ellen Underhill. Oh, I don't know. I haven't read Ellen Underhill, but Teresa is probably the old. Like I, I guess Julianne Nor- Norwich might be the most. You hear? I, I don't know. I feel like in my life I heard about her more. A little more, yeah. But Teresa Avila is is, is uh, her her story is incredible. They think, they think the Cloud of Unknowing was written by a woman, don't they? Mm, or are they not sure? I think they've kind of. Uh, she she was around the same time, yeah. and so they say uh, Saint John of the Cross. There's eh, was you know okay. who was who knew who okay. when what. Yeah. I've, I've listened. Um, yeah, you know we, we're in deep water here. Yeah, it's all about like for me really simplifying this stuff and yeah. How do you do that? I don't know. One of the things I like about doing this show is I talk to people about the books they love and the idea is like help people add books to their to be read list, like find something that you wouldn't normally read yeah. and you know, maybe we can point people towards it. Yeah. So for people who are, you know, maybe newer to some of this stuff, yeah. would new seeds be the book that you would say, well, like, what you would might you start, start with? with what seven story mountain? Yeah. His, his memoir. Yeah. Martin's maybe memoir. to, I mean, he's a very, like from what I understand, Thomas Merton was a very different man when he wrote New Seeds of Contemplation. But I would say if you're going to, if you're curious about Thomas Merton, you might start with New Seeds, I mean, excuse me, uh, Seven Story, Story Mountain. Mountain. Yeah. And you also, James Finley, who who uh, wrote mm. The Palace of Nowhere about Thomas. That's not a bad one to read because he studied, he was a novice for, I don't know, four or five years. He does the pod, the podcast. He does the podcast, yeah. turning, turning, to mis- turning to the Mystics. And he's, he's the man. He's, yeah, so he spent time with Merton. So he's still such a, a well of, of information and wisdom there. Simple wisdom, uh, but, but very good, like Christian meditation. Mm-hmm. Like he, 
he really is a good how-to guy. Kind of like distilling it and making it. Yeah. Just something just, you can actually respond to and really make actionable. Yeah, really? Yeah. My relationship with this, I exercise, my practice is through creativity. It's not like I can try to speak on this stuff and I have a lot of this information that comes in and I connect to it and identify with it and I love it dearly. But the way that I express it is through this and through song. Well, and that brought me, that's the question I asked that I was trying to ask. Can you look at a painting or a song and be like, I know. I can remember, definitely with paintings, I'll remember what I was listening to, listening to, um, for sure. So if people get deep into the, into the weeds on some of this and they're listening to your music, would they be able to recognize Thomas Merton or something in there? Or is that because it's so collaborative? It kind of, maybe there's a seed of some line there, something that maybe starts it for you, but then as it goes off, it's becomes a different entity. I mean, not, yeah. not that we want to tell people go listen to the Avid brothers and try to figure out, like find the Thomas Merton clues in there and like yeah. listen to the album backwards. And <laughs> well, you'd have to read a lot of Thomas Merton to uh, find the clues. Cause yeah. this, by then it's like, you know, distilled down yeah, yeah. quite, like quite a, a thousand bit. times. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Thomas Merton, just like all these guys, this, a lot of this stuff is not, it's not new information. Yeah. You know what I yeah. mean? The idea of contemplative. Yeah, he's not the first person. No, who, he's yeah. not, you know, far from it. And like the cloud of unknowing, like yeah. these things, this is a con, this is an internal thread. And I, I just, I just want to keep a, a hold on that thread mm. for me, not, not for my promotion to other people. It's, it's, yeah. For my own life, you know, yeah. for my being, and I—that—that that is what I want to share with my children. As far as what's the point in our existence, which is—it is physical now, but it's also spiritual. Mm. Our existence is spiritual, and and whatever, however you articulate it, that you're that you're holding on to that eternal thread. Mm. That sounds, you know, this idea of spirit, spiritual curiosity. It's like. You sounds like something that you know we all want our kids to have mm. whatever spiritual or ecclesiastical tradition you're a part of if you care about spiritual things you want your kids to have a spiritual curiosity but it sounds like you know how do you I mean your kids are still well you're at an age range but they're gonna be home for a while I mean do you ever think about how do you communicate or, or pass on a spiritual uh, well, curiosity my guess and I could be wrong about this because uh, Help me, Obi Wan. Because I, you know, <laughs> because I'm an idiot. <laughs> um, but my heart guess is that allowing kids a lot of time for boredom mm. would be good. Yeah, that's think, not something we do great anymore. No, we don't. Because you got screens and. Yeah, I mean. Just at least giving them all the screen time that they want until they've, uh, you know, what, just binge on it until they, they can't do it <laughs> might be a yeah. start. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But my point is, yeah. is that we activity them to death. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. You'd be even beyond just like playing video games. Not just screens. Yeah. 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 It's, it's like, yeah. so we are in such this, and, and as adults, there's this achieve mm-hmm. mode yeah. that... We just we just have this uh, uh, addictive, insatiable like it's appetite for it that yeah I I feel like we were blessed I, I was blessed with a lot of negative space as a kid and I loved that negative space. I loved it was in that boredom that I saw 
light on pine needles. Yeah. And I smelled them. Yeah. And and I took naps in 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 you know under an oak tree like I yeah. I was there long enough and bored enough to just go, well, I'll your just... Your senses actually start doing your something. senses start doing yeah. something. And, and once you're to that, to that state, that is contemplation. Yeah. How do you get there? And I mean, look around. How do I get there? And here, you can't... Like, look at this shit. Like, there's stuff everywhere yeah. to do. Yeah. Yeah. So now, how can I, how can I be here yeah. um, and slow the pace hmm. and just be with it? And that's, there's where books, like James Finley, I was just speaking about him, he, he makes a point, it's, I can't remember what it was, but he said, you know, at some point you stop reading the books that people are recommending to you because you've got the books that you're going to read, yeah. and you're probably just going to reread them for yeah. the rest of your life. Yeah, <laughs> because well, everybody should have their core text. Core text. Yeah. And, and I'm seeing that happen in my life now, yeah. like where I'm like, well, I'll reread this. I'm not. Yeah, I'm sure this is awesome, but I don't know. Yeah. And, and I yeah. am, it's not that I'm not open. Yeah, yeah. But I'm just not done with this yet. And I might well, it not takes ever some time be. to get to the point where you, where you can say, okay, these are part of some of these books are my core text because as a person, you're evolving and you're discovering new things and your spiritual curiosity is taking you places. But then yeah. eventually you get to a point where you're like, I need to think about this more. Yeah. My spiritual curiosity is like taking me here. But there's, now I've got more questions. This question is leading to more questions. And yeah. that's, I think, when, when, you, when books lead to more and more questions and they become unanswerable, the more you read the book, yeah, that's totally. when it becomes a core text. Totally, totally. And you don't really see anything as not spiritual anymore. Hmm. You know, like you read fiction or nonfiction, like it, it all is just adding to it. And you realize that it's all in, it's in everything. Like I could, I remember this, I have this, this conflict <laughs> with when people dice up genres and they say, well, this is, you know, and I'm really enjoying that documentary called Jesus Music. I haven't finished it yet, but uh, it's really enlightening about Mm. what that world is. I don't know a lot about that world, but it's always been confusing to me that there was any kind of music that Jesus, that, that, that any God, you know, that God does not have a part in. Mm. So, if I'm listening to a, a band like Acid Bath, which <laughs> I love, uh, have loved since I was a kid, yeah. there's some really dark uh, mm-hmm. uh, subject matter in that. But to believe that God is not in it, to me, is weird, mm-hmm. strange. So I, you know, books come and I'm like, well, yeah, it's hard not to find spiritual in everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Before we wrap up, I want to ask you about like uh, reading with your kids because you mm. talked about how you know your mom read to you so the earliest books you remember like the giving tree and yeah uh no the caps uh, yeah the caps book which i can't remember the title now that we've talked about i know uh, uh what do you say yeah uh caps for sale, caps for sale. um <laughs> <laughs> so you had this even if you weren't like reading a ton when you were in those middle years of your or the later years of your childhood i guess eventually that that, that sense of curiosity and intellect that was in your parents stayed with you, you know, and that's obviously with you and, and Seth and I assume your sister as well. Mm-hmm. And so is that like when you're thinking about your kids, do you have books that you love reading with them or that maybe even picture books when, you know, I guess your youngest is seven, something like that. Mm-hmm. What are some of the books that you loved reading with your kids or you still love reading with your kids that you would recommend to, yeah. to people? Well, obviously the giving tree was one that, and, and still we, we can be very sentimental yeah. in our family. Yeah. Like, uh, I love those, those warm 
heart moments. And yeah. um, that's quite a book, uh, you know. It really is. Yeah, it really is. Um, it takes you a lot of places. <laughs> it does, and then all his other work is fun too. Yeah, uh, and those were big when we were kids. As I guess well. they are. Like, there's a verse element to them that. 100%. As a songwriter, probably is pretty 100%. interesting for you. 100%. It's hard for me not to write with a straight, uh, uh, like the paragraph form doesn't even make sense. Yeah. Like it's just. It Has it always been that way? Or you just as you've. It's always you've, been that way. I've always wanted to do that, but I always felt like I didn't have okay. the right to. Yeah. And yeah. now I think, you know what? I'm going to write yeah. in whatever shape I want. Yeah. I really couldn't care any less. I mean, Rumi really supports that. Yeah. I would su- suggest to all the listeners to get the essential Rumi and and just start yeah. start flipping through it and just, because there is no form. And I love that. But as a songwriter, like... There's a form to your song. There's always form, but I'm saying there's no template that's been laid out okay, for you. Okay, I see. Yeah, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. There's always yeah. form. Form yeah. becomes, but um, there's not there's not a form uh, requirement. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But for the kids' books, uh, you know, I never imagined that I would read Harry Potter books, and and Max and I are on the fourth. You know. Uh, oh, you're in the long ones now. Yeah, it's, they start getting long. Yeah. <laughs> And I read slow, like we, he probably reads slow too, but he reads a lot more than I did when, his, when I was his, his age. But we've enjoyed that. And then uh, we've gotten what, all kinds of books from your shop, uh, all the bad guys' books yeah. and, and the Mighty Jack. Yeah, the Mighty Jack. Mighty Jack. The, and, ben Hecke. And, and yeah. what's her name? Zeta the Space Girl. Oh, those are, those those are, are brilliant. Yeah. Those are great. Really great. If you've got kids five through 12, basically, you got these get graphic those. novels. They're awesome. You got to get them. Yeah. They're really like, they're really, uh, fun illustrations, fun and illustrations. And you just get the sense that the writer is, um, writing from, a, you know, his sincere place. Yeah. You know, it's great. Yeah. Ben, Hatt, he's an interesting guy. He, he actually, um, he does all kinds of different mediums and mm-hmm. he, uh, he also is fencer like, and not building fences. He fences with swords. Oh, great. <laughs> Love it. Just an interesting, Love curious it. guy. Yeah, that's great. So, I, I understand. Comes through. I understand that. Um, There's something you could take up. Fencing? Sure. Yeah. You know, Joe Kwan was a fencer, and uh, he was uh, really? on the UNC I, fencing I team. I did not know that. <laughs> yeah. But it doesn't surprise me. No, come on. <laughs> Joe Joe decides to do something, and he goes all the way. Tilly hurts his back, right? Tilly hurts his back, but he's he's Good he has returned <laughs> from that with a vengeance. He's returned from the crucible. Yeah. I would love to say like some really incriminating things about Joe right now, but I'm going to spare him. Uh, I <laughs> yeah, love he's not Joe. here to defend himself. No, I, I love him so much. But um, but our relationship with books in our house is is deep. Yeah, our relationship with books is is really deep, and there are a lot of them. And um, you know, purpose read, purpose driven reading. Mm-hmm. I was telling you outside the coffee shop the other day. I've read countless like textbook style books because that's what you get about artists usually, mm, yeah, you know, yeah. you get books that have a lot of imagery in them, but they're also, so usually the, the, the flagship books about an artist come as sort of textbook coffee table style. Yeah, and yeah. so I read so many books on, on Caravaggio trying to learn about technique, but also learning about his life on repeat because they all the, the yeah. books would have the same stories. Yeah. Really yeah. interesting. The same anecdotes about Van Gogh cutting his ear off or whatever. Same thing. Yeah. I, there was a time I would encourage, like I love uh, art heist books. Mm. I really enjoy like true nonfiction uh, like, art heist like books. Like people trying to steal paintings. They, and, they've successfully stolen yeah. paintings. There was a, a book about a lost painting 
it was called a lost painting, I think, about a Caravaggio that was in I- Ireland mm. that was found in a uh, in an attic or something. Wow, unbelievable! What a book. I mean, that. I, but those stories really. If I get into this kind of conversation as I start to <laughs> dig deeper, yeah, you're getting excited. Well, I start to realize that some of the lies that I tell is like, well, I didn't really do that. I didn't really read my da da da. And then as I dig in, I go, oh yeah, I read that, and I read that, yeah. and I read this, and then. But I you realize, weren't reading to check a box it was never to check a box i never read any assignment book in high school okay i never (laughs) read the outsiders i never read one flew over the cuckoo's net i just never read the books that to kill a mockingbird i didn't read them i just didn't read them i was told to read them it was the assignment i just didn't read them as an adult do you have any like i should read these or are you just like i'm following my all those that i just said yeah 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 yeah, I mean, War and Peace is one of those examples of like, you need to read that. You know, well, you did read Anna step. Karenina, and that's another doorstop book. It is. So. It is. It's a big one. I, I, w- I would just wrap that up with uh, all those kids' books that I grew up with, plus a lot of really great new ones, like, uh, what's that, Monster Under My Bed? I think that's what it's called. Yeah, <laughs> that was a great one. I like the, what's the one about the jam sandwich and the wasps of, of itching? I don't know that itching one. Down. Know that one. There's uh, so many good kids' books. There are. There you are. ever thought about like illustrating a kid's book because yeah, you yeah. could could do that. Sure have. And and probably, I guess I wrote one that I told nightly to the kids. Yeah. And so it's there, but um, yeah, for another day, I guess. I don't know. How many things can, can a person do? Did you get the storytelling gene of your your dad? Mm, I don't know. It's probably, it's probably just coming through in a different way. Yeah, maybe so. You know, a big painting of your... Yeah. Son on a, is he sledding? Yeah. Yeah, he's getting ready. So that that goes in front of this. Mm. Oh, okay. That's how how this works. So this piece attached to that and this the title of this is The Will of Boy. And so it's mm. I found that it's quite moving when you put a a boy, you know, a child realizing from birth to death yeah. sort of what the greater context, yeah. It's kind of like, it's kind of sad. Especially with your own kid. It's a bit especially, but yeah. ultimately it's me. Yeah. You know, that he, he was for the model for it, like, but it's about me. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. What's the, uh, just wrap it up here. What's the, is there something you read recently that really surprised you? Either because of how great it was or what you learned from it or, you know, something uh, like well, that. Well, you know, I, I just finished the book and this might sound strange uh but i finished the book the body joyful Mm. because i was recommended to from my creative counselor this obsession with the book is about body neutrality and it surprised me how uh how insightful it was Mm. uh it's a great book and i would recommend it to to anyone (laughs) which i don't i don't know that i'm the uh clientele that that book is is (laughs) aimed for But uh, well, that's but, why it surprised you. But I think, yeah, and I think I think everyone in this culture, in our culture, American culture, and, and really a, a global culture, but I think it, it's useful for everybody. Mm. Uh, All right, last book recommendation. Curious about do you uh, when you're in a creative rut. I don't know if that happens to you, <laughs> but whether you're maybe you're on the maybe you're just on tour and you're like, and this is getting long. <laughs> Or you're working on a painting and you're just kind of like, I, what's the next thing I do here? Is there something you turn to for creative uh, energy, for creative momentum, for creative inspiration, I guess is what I'm asking. Mm-hmm. Maybe something you return to that you, that you found yourself returning to on a recurring basis. Yeah. 
Well, not to be redundant, but New Seas of Contemplation has been that. Yeah. Um, so that book means a lot for you in, in a lot of different ways. It does, very Artistically, much so. spiritually. V- very much so, yeah. Yeah, yeah this, this idea about talking about things being spiritual, it, it really, uh, it sort of wrangles it into something that I don't think, you know, it, it's not good for the conversation. No, it's good for our conversation, but it's yeah. not good for the idea of like, yeah. oh, okay, we're talking about religious things. Y- you're right. Yeah. Uh, like the art is spiritual. Yeah, it all is. It all is. And yeah. there's such a, there's a, a lot that comes along with that word spiritual. Yeah. But, um, well, I mean, you know, one of the things that like, one of the core tenets of Christianity is the idea of like incarnation, right? Mm-hmm. You know, God becomes man and the spiritual and the physical are made are combined together yes. in that. Yeah. And that's, you know, what you, when you're creating these paintings or when you're writing a song, you're There's, able to incarnate some spiritual reality. This evolution happens every time I make it. I go yeah. into the unknown. I, 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 I don't know what's going to happen. I have to trust, I have, I have yeah. faith that this, it makes sense to keep doing it. I have to be patient. I have to be, you know, all those things happen every time I do one of these things or mm-hmm. every time we, we, write a song and see it yeah. to the end. It happens every single time. And so, yeah, that it's just a conversation that that's why it's so applicable. I'm, I'm going to say, I'm going to say that, uh, that Hafiz book, God is laughing, laughing with God. Let me, let me. I heard God laughing. Renderings of Hafiz by Daniel Ladinsky. Can I see that? Yeah. Poems of hope and joy. It's a great book. A great mm-hmm. little book. The Persian literature is one of those... Uh, there's so much there. Have you, have you, this is a guy named Daniel Nairi who wrote this amazing middle grade book. He grew up in Iran for a while and then they had to escape basically to America. And so he grew up as this immigrant 10 year old kid living in Oklahoma. Mm. And he, mm. um, so it's, it's about his like life as this Persian kid and his, it's this, his whole book is like, it's a memoir that he novelizes. Mm. So it's, a little bit fuzzy as where the the fiction and the fact blend. Yeah, I love that. But it's all influenced by Persian folk tales and his the the legends and and folk tales that his family told. Yeah. So it's it it's it's all about all that kind of stuff. And the I Persian literature is so we don't talk about it enough. No, we don't in the West. No, we don't. But there's so much good stuff. No, we don't. I agree. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Everything sad is untrue. That's what it's called. Everything. Everything sad is untrue. Uh so it's about this kid. He's like middle school. And he's trying to figure out how to be an American. He like loves American movies and music uh-huh. and hip hop and all uh-huh. this kind of stuff. But then he went, I interviewed him and he went and became a pastry chef. Okay. So he like makes chocolate. So I'm interviewing him. He does me like 10 minute lecture, not lecture, but story about how chocolate's made. That's wow. great. So that's, I mean, that's, that's a good example of like commitment to craft. Yeah. And simplicity. Yeah. There's, there's beauty in those things. Yes. Yeah, yeah I, I do. In my learning about scripture and, and my study of it, uh, I think one day in the group, that the small group that I, I talk about that with, one of the, the conclusions we came to was that anytime there's hate, truth, it's void of truth. So truth, mm. there is no truth in hate. Mm. There's only it's it's only misunderstood. It's only misguided. Like mm. it's only lies. So that you know everything that's sad yeah. is untrue. That I love that that mm. that touches on that a little bit somewhere in that that area. Do you think all this stuff we're talking? This truly my last question. Mm. Do you think all this stuff that uh, 
we're talking about in terms of what goes into your creating in all the different mediums that you engage in. Do you think it's part of why your audience, your fans or whatever you want to call it, why it connects with people? Mm. Or is that just totally ineffable and you can't explain why? I have no, yeah, I can't. It wouldn't matter if I did know, really. I, I can't really. Uh, I, I trust in that. And I trust that uh, as long as I stay committed to it, that that all that stuff falls in place. So yeah, you can't you can't even be thinking about it when you're nah, making the stuff. Nah, that's what's I never did before. Yeah. You know, and yeah, I never did before. So I don't know how that would serve. Uh, the distraction. For, yeah, for you. Be. I mean, obviously, like you care much. You want to care for your audience. I yeah, assume, yeah, but. yeah. Well, like I was, I was just looking. I was reviewing the the book that I, an art book that I put out a couple of years ago with uh, in 2019 with the art show at the North Carolina Museum of Art, uh, the Invisible Book, and I was looking at the original lyrics for. I don't know why I'm saying this. Head full of doubt, and it said, <laughs> "You, you know, know somebody as a prick in the book in the in the <laughs> lyrics," and I was like, "To care for the audience." <laughs> The young, like yeah. really young, I yeah. was kind of, eh, how about just the person instead of the prick? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? that I don't know if that applies, but but thinking in terms of but using words. But you're conscious of them. Having a, yeah. Yeah, yeah, using words and, and knowing yeah. that, well, does this have to be? Do I really need to express myself in, in that way? Uh, sure, I feel that way, but is it is it helpful? Yeah. And that would get into some of the what is art stuff that Tolstoy talks about, like what why what is our motivation hmm. and is, when you find something that claims to be art that is really not in in literature something that is not unifying that is not loving is it just propaganda hmm. you know is it not art is hmm. it is it not true hmm. so factual it may be but is it true is it, is it really good i don't know well that's that's that question Seems like a good place to stop and let that linger in people's ears. <laughs> yeah, really. Uh, there's just all it's going to do is lead to more more questions. But that's okay. You just yeah, one book leads to the next. That's it does. It does. So. It's fun. And I know I'm going to think about you know four or five books that uh, I should have said, but I'll I'll be for another time. Just post them on Instagram. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Scott. Yeah, man. It's fun. Thank you. Well, that was Scott Avid. Thanks so much to him for joining me and thanks to you for checking out our show. Don't forget that if you want to check out Purpose at Random at the SoCo Gallery, that runs through November 2nd in Charlotte and you can head to socogallery.com for information on that. And Scott Avid, after the fact, runs from October 7th through January 21st of 2023. That's at the Greenville Museum of Art and you can head to gmoa.org for more information on that. Well, this has been Bibliography. I'm David Kern. Post-production for our show is done by Logan Green. Thank you for listening. I hope you found a book or two to add to your to-be-read lists. Until next time, happy reading. Mm -hmm.